0: You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Grant. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle, so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. This is episode 30. Environmental hormesis, setting your body up for nutrition. Man, it's crazy to think that I've done 30 of these things, 30 episodes. So this week I wanted to dive deeper into the concept of environmental hormesis or what could be called stress from your environment. I want to talk about how that benefits your body, what it actually does, and then how it relates to nutrition. So we're going to look at it through a nutritional lens and I really want to talk about what it actually means to utilize the elements of nature, and what it means to get the different environmental stressors into your body, and how all that relates to nutrition. Because, spoiler alert, going outside and living outside, let's say, doesn't actually make you healthy. And we're going to talk about why that is, and what else will be needed to kind of complete that equation of health. All right, so let's get into it. Environmental hormesis. It's basically just a fancy scientific way of saying stress that you get from the outside environment, okay? And that's really as simple as it is. It's the basic elements of nature, the things that I've talked extensively about. Sun, water, wind, earth, fire, metal, minerals, right? All of those basic elements that we interact with on a daily basis and maybe don't even realize that we're interacting with. Every time we step out our front door, we're getting a combination of all of the external elements that make up our world. And these stressors can also be in an internal environment as well. Generally, when you're talking about environmental stressors in an indoor environment, you're usually just talking about stress. So, stress from usually, I mean, it could be anything from technology to arguments to whatever it is, right? I mean, your internal environment, say your house, you're intentionally closing yourself off from the elements of nature, which you need to do because you need some protection from the elements occasionally, right? You don't want to be in negative degree temperatures because you can get hypothermia and die, right? You don't want to be in extreme, extremely hot temperatures either, because you can get heat stroke and die, right? So, living in an internal environment that's a bit regulated is necessary for human survival, obviously. And so, I don't mean to only suggest that environmental hormesis is an external outdoor stress, but that's what I want to focus on in this episode. I want to focus on these outdoor stressors that build and prepare your body in a very particular way to receive the nutrition around you. And this is a bit of a different concept than most people talk about when they're talking about environmental hormesis or hormesis in general, so stress and how it positively or negatively affects your body. Okay, typically when you're looking at hormetic effects, hormetic stressors. You're typically, you're measuring certain things in an individual to see how their body responds. That's how most of the studies are done. Now, there are studies suggesting that, you know, going outside, getting these environmental stressors from the sun, the wind, the rain, the trees, right, all of that, is going to have a positive effect on your body. And it's like, well, no shit. You don't need a multi-million dollar funded grant to establish that going outdoors is going to make you healthier. But it's not the end-all be-all. Going outside isn't just automatically going to make you healthy. It opens your body up to receive health and to receive nutrition. That's the difference. Because if going outside just made you healthy... Think about people that spend most of their time outside. So homeless people, for example, right? They would be some of the healthiest people on the planet if going outside and spending the majority of your day outside just made you healthy. Construction workers, concrete workers, right? People that have to do manual labor outside day after day, every single day of the year, would be the healthiest on the planet. But yet, we don't see that. Some people are healthy that do construction and concrete work, and others are just as unhealthy as everybody else. So clearly, environment isn't the only thing that makes you healthy. It's just one of the factors in many, many different factors, right? I mean, there's tons of studies that going and sitting in a park that's nice and green helps your mental health, right? You have studies coming out of Japan with forest bathing and how it positively affects the neurotransmitters that are getting created and reduces stress. And all of that is true. But if you're homeless and you're not getting good food, you don't know where your next meal is coming from, you don't know where you're going to stay, you're terrified, you're stressed, sitting in that park or going and taking a little walk through the woods is not going to positively affect your mental health. Are you with me on that? So these studies are very, very dependent on the mindset of the population that they're looking at. So you have to keep your intention in that, within that framework, right? What's the intent? Are you fed? Are you happy? Are you in healthy relationships when you're doing this forest bathing and getting these positive results for studies? Chances are, if you're admitted into that type of study for grant research, you probably are you're probably somewhere in the middle class and you're clothed and fed and taken care of because you're participating in this, you know, multi-million dollar study. You're probably not all strung out on drugs and, you know, completely fucked up mentally, physically, and emotionally, right? So, intent. What's the intent? Why are you going outside? Why are you spending time outside? becomes a very, very crucial question in this equation. And again, that's not to say that environmental immersion so to speak, won't help with addiction and stuff because it absolutely does. There are tons of programs out there that take teenagers and kids and immerse them in nature in kind of survival type scenarios to kind of kick major addictions to alcohol or drugs or whatever and kind of straighten them out a little bit. Because struggle and challenges, especially in a natural environment, puts things into perspective, right? It takes the daily stressors of the built world, whether it's through technology or work or substance abuse, and kind of strips it all away. You get back to the basics. That's what environmental hormesis can kind of bring to you. It provides a framework for you to look at the world, for you to internalize things and to really recognize what you want and what you want to get out of your life, let's say. And so for that type of rehab, we can call it, it's fantastic. Because being out in nature requires reflection. When you don't have a cell phone and you're just sitting outside with literally nothing to do but fish or gather or hunt, and even if you're alone or if you're in a community of people, you have to work You have to work to get your food, your water, to have some type of shelter to protect yourself from these elements, right? There's things to be done. And if all you have to do is exist in that environment and make sure you're getting your basic needs met, it reframes everything in your mind. And of course, that's going to help you kick different things, right? It's going to help even if you're completely Healthy and have no addiction issues, and you just want those benefits, it's going to absolutely benefit you. Right? Because it's again, it strips everything down to basic elements of nature and gives you the actual time to think about things, which is hard to come by in this day and age because everything moves so, so fast. It's hard to internalize anything anymore because we're on to the next thing immediately. So you do get mental shifts and you know different neurotransmitters if you are in an intentional mindset to receive those different changes again if you're homeless and terrified and are fighting just to kind of stay alive in the streets that's a very very different environment than the natural environment you're kind of in an artificial built environment you don't see a lot of homeless people living just in the woods because there isn't resources, right? You see the majority of homeless people living in major cities because there's resources to help them, right? And most people don't have the skills and ability to live on their own, and there aren't too many places in the United States anyway that you can just go out and exist. Typically, it's illegal to just go out and exist because you're on public land and you're not allowed to live on public land. So, all this to be said, the intention matters, It matters why you're going outside. It matters what type of benefit you're trying to achieve when you go outside. I wrote a little article this week on my website about this, about environmental hormesis and how it changes your body. And I gave an example of fishing. And I'm going to kind of summarize that here. So I was writing about the difference between just driving to the grocery store to pick up Let's say a fillet of salmon versus standing in a river and fishing for that salmon. Two completely different environments, but you end up with the same result. Each person gets a fillet of fish. But think about what that fisherman had to do to get that fish. They had to wade into the river, they had to throw a line out with bait, they had to stand there in the sun, in the wind, in the water, and wait. To take in a fish. Then they had to touch the fish from its natural environment. They had to gut it and clean it. You're picking up thousands and thousands of microbes from your environment when you're fishing, when you're engaging in a natural environment. Versus the person who drives to the grocery store, walks up to the meat counter, and asks the person behind the counter for that fillet of fish, right? You're getting bacteria too, but you're getting usually pretty drug resistant robust bacteria that can survive in sterile environments like a deli counter you're getting things like staph that are antibiotic resistant right you're getting very very different sets of bacteria for those two environments oh and just so you know staph so staphylococcus bacteria it's found on grocery store meat. It's antibiotic resistant staff that's found on grocery store meat. You don't get that in a natural environment because the sun in the UV from the sun degrades that staph. Okay. So you're picking up things in an artificial environment that are extremely robust for their environment, right? Everything is just trying to get better in the environment that it lives in bacteria is no different and that's just one example there's obviously viruses as we've seen this past year and a half there's all sorts of different microbes that are perfecting their niches in their environments and not to mention the fish that you're getting very very different fish right let's say you got farm fish at the deli counter and you caught wild fish in a stream, okay? Think about the life cycle of those two fish. Think about how their environments affected their genetics. The farmed fish, it's raised on a diet that isn't properly adapted to their biology. It's usually raised on some type of grain derivative, some pellets that are fed. It's raised in holding tanks, and then it's caught and sold. Typically, farmed salmon, for example, they are Very, very sick fish. They get a lot more parasites. They get a lot more bacteria and they have to be treated. And so you're eating fish that's genetically and physically sick, right? What's that going to do to your body and your genetics if you're eating sick animals or sick plants? That's environmental hormesis. It's environmental stress that's gone awry. It's gone off the rails for that salmon right? It's living in an environment that doesn't benefit its genetic potential, right? And that's what environmental hormesis is all about. It's about enhancing your own genetics to the best genetic potential possible. Now, it's going to be on a spectrum depending on who you are and what your genetics are, right? Some people have a rough starting point for genetics. Other people have really really robust genetics and they're going to end up in different spots but trying to get the best out of your genetics is going to create a healthier version of whatever it is that farm salmon it has very pale orange flesh it's soft it's mushy it's sick a lot of the time There are some good farming operations that essentially are using kind of genetically wild fish, and some of them actually do a pretty good job. But on average, you're looking at pretty genetically diminished fish. Whereas a wild salmon coming from a river when it's spawning upstream, let's say, or from the ocean when you're pulling out king salmon, that fish has lived in its biological environment and gotten the most out of its genetics. It's had to struggle in its environment. It's had to deal with predation. It's had to deal with a lot of stress that that farmed salmon didn't have to deal with, and it improves their genetics. Does that make sense? So anytime, especially if you're a prey animal and you have predation upon you, your genetics have to be extremely robust. Think about the gazelle with the cheetah chasing the gazelle. Both of those genetics have to be supremely honed. The gazelle needs good genetics to try to evade the cheetah, to try to get away and survive. So the ones that survive cheetah hunting attacks obviously live on to perpetuate their species, right? So their genetics get honed at getting faster and more agile and smarter at staying alive from the predation for the, for the cheetah, Okay. The cheetah has to get stronger and faster to catch the gazelle, so their genetics get honed and better, more specialized, right? Same thing in the fish world. Anytime you have to struggle to survive, your genetics are going to be specifically honed for that environment, okay? Are you with me? So, a wild salmon, you're going to be eating better genetics, and it. You're not only eating better genetics, you are integrating your two environments together, right? So you're standing in that salmon's environment, which is the river. You're picking up the same type of microbes, the same type of algaes, same type of bacteria and viruses, right? You are blending your environment with that salmon's environment. And what that's going to do is it's going to ultimately shift your microbiome and your epigenetics, and you're going to be well-prepared cellularly and epigenetically and metabolically and microbiomically, is that a word, microbiomically? Anyway, your microbiome is going to be prepared to receive that nutrition that you got out of that river. Does that make sense? So you're enhancing your genetics. You're enhancing your genetic potential by standing in that river and fishing. So you're enhancing your genetic potential to receive the salmon's genetics. It essentially builds an epigenetic bridge to that species, right? It bridges that epigenetic, those epigenetic factors. So your body is better prepared for that specific nutrition, are you with me? So depending on the environment that you're in will often dictate how your body responds to that specific nutrition, to that specific life you're taking in. The same thing could be said for foraging plants, okay? Look at blackberry picking. Same deal, right? You drive to the store, you pick up a flat of blackberries, you eat it. Great. It provides you nutrition. Fantastic. Versus going outside into the blackberry pouch, getting poked, getting bloody, picking those blackberries right? Think about the types of things you're picking up into your body when you're going out and actually picking blackberries. Very, very different. It prepares your body to receive that nutrition from the blackberries, okay? So, going outside, as great as it is, is half of the equation essentially. Going outside just prepares your body to receive nutrition. Getting good nutritious food half the equation, right? Yes, it'll keep your body going, but you're missing out on the outdoor stress. You're missing out on the environmental hormesis of going and getting that food. Those two things together enhance your epigenetics. That's what keeps you healthy, right? Just like the construction worker who has to spend five days a week outside for eight, 10 hours a day, he can be overweight and have diabetes, right? Whereas the office worker, eating a really good, nutritious, balanced diet, can have none of those. Now, if those two things were synced up, if the office worker got to spend eight hours a day outside and was eating a really nutritious diet, it would enhance their genetic potential, their epigenetic potential, okay? Same thing with a construction worker. If the construction worker ate an extremely well-balanced diet with wild food and spent time interacting with their food that they were gathering outside, it would enhance the genetic potential, right? These are two sides of the same coin, and you need both sides, right? You throw somebody, let's say, in solitary confinement for 10 years, and they get an hour outside in the yard, but you give them the best nutrition possible. It'll keep them alive, but they're not going to be genetically healthy. They're going to be deficient. They're going to be deficient in things like vitamin D, They're going to be susceptible to an onslaught of immune system issues, of many, many different things that could potentially make you unhealthy and cause ill health in your body. Nutrition is great, but it's only great within a larger context of the environment and of environmental hormesis. The environment is great. Environmental hormesis is important, but it's only important in a larger context of nutrition and where that nutrition and where the genetics that you're building your body from are coming from. There was a study done with golden finches where they subjected golden finches to environmental stressors. What happened was pretty fascinating. They saw changes in reproduction, for example, where when they were younger in their earlier life stages, reproduction actually went down. So the success of reproduction and the drive to reproduce actually went down. As they entered into later stages of their life, reproduction actually increased because their body became adapted to the different environmental stressors that they were subjected to, and it increased reproduction. And then those offspring actually had a better time with those same environmental stressors. And you see that in other animals as well, where reproduction will be diminished in the younger years until You can adapt to that stress epigenetically, and then reproduction will increase throughout later stages of life. That seems to be the direction that it goes. You can look at environmental hormesis as an adaptation to stress through the epigenome. That's really what's going on. You're learning how to adapt your genetics. To the external stimulation and stress that's coming in and you're then giving that genetic information to your offspring and they become better and on and on it goes. The key is for longevity and health and maintaining your health you need a balance of stress and calm because if you're just chronically stressed it will not only torpedo your nutrition but it's going to torpedo your health in general. If you look at digestion, for example, you only digest food when you are in a rested, restorative state. That's why the adage of rest and digest is so true. You don't digest food very well when you're stressed out. You don't even want to eat when you're super stressed out, typically. Like if you were in a let's say, a war situation. You wouldn't want to be pounding a bunch of calories in. You wouldn't feel the need to eat, right? Things would be repressed. Nutrition would be repressed in that extreme state, okay? So, you need a balance of stress and calm, right? Just like the homeless person living on the street, super stressed out, isn't generally going to be healthy if all you did was lay on the couch and not have any stress and just get spoon-fed, you're not going to be healthy. There's got to be a give and take because you need to hone and adapt your genetics to your environment. That's what the office worker does sitting in a cubicle 10 hours a day. They're honing their genetics for that environment. You're adapting to whatever environment you spend the most time in. You're adapting whether you like it or not, whether it's good or bad, you're adapting. You're, you adapt to whatever you do. And as a human species, we are extremely adaptable. That's why we spread essentially to every continent on the planet. We can survive and thrive there. We can dramatically change our environment and do remarkably well. But there can be some genetic drawbacks to that. There can be major genetic drawbacks to living in ultra-built environment not getting enough hormetic stressors to drive your genetics a particular way. And then you start thinking about the genetics of the food that you're eating, and you can start to really paint a clear picture. Think about what you ate for breakfast. Did you eat a bunch of processed food? Did you have pop tarts or uh, a piece of bread? What type of genetics did you take in? If it was a piece of bread what type of wheat was it? Was it a whole grain piece of bread? Was it sourdough? Was it wonder bread? So, ultra processed foods that are processed, say, in a laboratory provide your body with very little genetic material to go off of. So, refined white sugar is very, very different than the sugar cane is derived from, right? very different genetic material, and it affects your genetics very, very differently. Again, the farmed salmon is very genetically different to the wild salmon. If you were to look at that in a laboratory setting, a farmed salmon's genes versus the wild salmon's genes, it would look virtually identical. But how it affects your epigenetic behavior and the way your cells behave is profoundly different. And that's where a lot of these studies get a little squirrely in the nutrition field because you can, things can look really, really good on paper. Like one equals one on paper, you like you have a straight one to one ratio. But then in practice, in the actual biology and your physiology, it can perform way differently. Do you see what I'm getting at? So thinking about, the different genetics that you're taking in and how they're going to affect your genetics becomes very, very important. And that's why spending time in an outdoor environment, interacting with the food that you're getting, whether it's plants, animals, fungi, protist, bacteria, whatever it is, your genetics are going to be set up to receive that nutrition versus, again, just driving to the grocery store and picking up what you need. We all do that, and you're going to have to do that, but the more you can think about how to actually feed your epigenetics with not only food, but the environment, and integrate those two together, because that's kind of the missing link. They need to be integrated, because that's going to integrate into your body. Why not stack those disciplines, right? You could spend 20 minutes outside sunbathing, or 20 minutes outside gathering food in the sun, right? And gathering food in the sun is going to be way better for you nutritionally and cellularly than it would be to sunbathe for 20 minutes and then drive to the grocery store to get the same food. You understand what I'm getting at? So integrating genetics and environment and then building your body from those two things is how you achieve optimal nutrition and how you achieve optimal epigenetics. So the fisherman who stands in the river, catches the fish, feels the sun, feels the water, handles the fish, fillets the fish, cleans it all up, preps it for cooking, cooks it, eats it, is going to have far more nuanced and better nutrition than the person who calls up Uber Eats and has the fillet of fish delivered to their doorstep. Because in the cooking process, there also is preparation of digestion. So anytime you handle your food, the more you handle it, the more you touch it, the more you look at it, your body is preparing on a metabolic level to receive that nutrition. Does that make sense? You can still get new, good nutrition from Uber Eats, right? Let's say, but the integration, the preparation on a cellular genetic nutritional level is not the same. It's not a one-to-one ratio. So the more you can get out and actually interact with your food, whether it's in a wild environment or a semi-wild environment like a garden, the better off your nutrition will end up being because you're picking up other things from that environment that are going to be better off nutritionally and they're going to be better off for your entire body and health than just getting your food dropped off at your doorstep. Really, the lesson here is to integrate. Integrate your environmental hormesis with your nutrition. The more you do that, the better epigenetically your body is going to be primed and set up for your environment that you live in day in and day out. I hope this makes a little more sense because really this is the key to providing your body with adequate, robust nutrition that's going to feed your genetic potential. The more you can eat species with optimized genetic potential, the better your genetic potential is going to be. But you have to integrate the environmental piece along with it. This is nutrition. This is what nutrition should be, right? It shouldn't be just about balancing macro and micronutrients and juggling them around in a nice packaged fad diet. That you can subscribe to for three weeks before you forget about it and gain all your weight back, right? This is real nutrition. This is the real world. So think about it. The next time you pick up that fillet of fish, think about its genetics. Next time you pick up that cookie, think about its genetics a little bit. Ask yourself what are these genetics that I'm taking in? What are they going to do to my genetics? Are they going to better them? or are they going to take away? And you don't have to be perfect. I'm not claiming that I'm perfect because I absolutely am not, but it's a good question to frame in the front of your mind and to keep it in there whenever you get confused about nutrition and what you should or should not be eating. That's the question to really ask yourself. Okay, I think that'll about do it for this week. Thank you for listening to this kind of prolonged rant on environmental hormesis and nutrition. It's an important concept, and I hope it's one that sinks in a little bit because it doesn't get talked about enough. And I've alluded to this kind of overarching concept through most of these podcasts that I've done the last 30 weeks, but I really wanted to drive this home and kind of crystallize it in your mind a bit more. So thank you for listening if you've made it this far. I really appreciate it. As always, stay well, stay healthy, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave me a rating and review. This will help people find the podcast so we can grow the audience. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to talk to me personally, go to the ancestralelements.com slash community to get access to the forum. We go through each episode every week and talk about these concepts and ideas in greater detail. And you can connect with other listeners.